Hey guys, Matt here. Welcome to Chocolate Croissants, episode 25. I hope everybody is doing fantastical this week. So this episode is going to be slightly different than our normal format. Um, I think it's going to be pretty short. It's just going to be myself, Jordan, and Justin. And we really just wanted to give you guys a brief recap of our week because each of us have had some pretty interesting things going on this week, both in our personal lives and professional lives. So um, we figured we would just give you an update, give you something short to digest, and then we'll be back next week with our typical programming. In fact, we have um, we have a really cool guest on next week. It's my good friend, John Minidakis from a local business called Jimmy's Famous Seafood. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about that briefly right now. So it's a, it's a restaurant in Baltimore that is quite, uh, quite big. It has a bunch of different bars in it. Um, they're known for their crab cakes and their crabs. They've won awards like Best Restaurant in Maryland, Best Bar in Maryland. Um, and it was initially founded by John's father, built from the ground up and, and slowly just built up over the years. And then when John's father passed away, um, John was was John and his brother Tony were left to really figure out how to make it uh, into what it is now, and I don't want to get too much into the story, but they really built it up from you know the ground to this huge thing, and from there they've expanded into other businesses, including this program called Jimmy's Famous Meals, um, and you can check it out at Jimmy'sFamousMeals.com. It's basically meal prep. Um, that is geared towards whatever your health and fitness goals may be. So if you're looking to get bigger, there's meals for you. If you're looking to um, become more lean or lose weight, there's meals for you as well. Uh, so it, right now, actually, if you guys want to check it out, you can go to jimmysfamousmeals.com. They're sponsoring the podcast this week. And you can enter in the code CHOCOLATE in all caps on their website, and you can get, I believe, 10% off if you wanted to order one, two, or a whole subscription of their meals. Um, I would highly suggest you check it out. I've eaten it. Justin uh, has tried it as well, and he's a big fan. It's really fucking good stuff, and it's uh, it just takes all the prep work and all of the thought process out of how to eat healthy and how to be productive um, with your eating schedule. So if you guys are interested in that, just check out jimmysfamousmeals.com. And again, enter the code CHOCOLATE at checkout and you'll get 10% off your order, whatever you order. So um, yeah, Jordan's here. Say hi. Hi, guys. Hi. So I know Jordan uh, has some questions for me, but I think before we get into that, I think we should get a little real about what you and Justin have been dealing with this week. So for those that don't know, and hopefully it's okay to say, Jordan, um, so your dad was in a pretty serious car accident earlier this week. When did it happen? Monday? On Monday. And I think at this point, we don't really need to go into much more detail than that. Uh, He broke his hip. He had successful surgery. Uh, But it's been a very emotionally uh, trying and draining and brutal week. Uh, for me and Justin. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, I think it's part of the reason, too, why we're, we're doing this episode in the context in which we are, because we really haven't had much time to schedule um, a guest or much time to really get everybody's head in the game to do a, uh, you know, a, a full-on standard version of what we normally do. Yeah, so. and, and I think just timing kind of sucks in a way. I know... Even just professionally, we've all had 
different and unique things going on in the past couple weeks too, whether it's new opportunities or just the summer is over. Uh, so I think for all of us this week, uh, having an episode like this was the most uh, flexible thing. And it was an exercise of us being kind to ourselves and our time. Yeah, which is good. I mean, you definitely have had quite the emotional week. Um, I just realized Justin's not here. Where yeah, did he go? I'm not sure where he went. Um, I guess he might have gone to the bathroom, but we can keep going. So um, we're just laying on a floor right now talking into one microphone so you can guys can get the visual. Uh, this is actually where in the first like 10 episodes when we would do Facebook Live, and I think in the Facebook group uh, slash group slash chocolate croissants, you can still scroll down and watch them. But now there's no table. There's no skeleton. We're just lying on a floor in front of a microphone and a laptop. Which I kind of like. It's just super stripped down and casual. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like kind of on my butt with an elbow back. Matt's down on his stomach. Are you comfortable talking like this? Yeah, I feel good. Can you scoot over? I'm going to try this. Yeah, if you want me to. Oh, man. This is great radio right now. It really is. Well, okay, so we don't need to dig into it too much, but we mentioned that along with emotionally, it's been a challenging week. Um, professionally, it's been a really interesting week for you, Jordan. Yeah, um, I'm living a dream right now. Um, so, so yeah, tell, I mean, I, you've been you've alluded to this for a couple months now on the podcast, like that you were sort of maybe going to get a new job. Yeah, and. Talks had gotten serious uh, in May, so it took about four months of just uh, conversations and and things of that nature. But I I now work for a pro wrestling company and one of the major pro wrestling companies in the world, uh, and I'm contributing in ways where I feel really confident and I'm excited about it. Uh, the company is called Ring of Honor. And I mean, it's really the number two pro wrestling company in the Western world after WWE. Uh, and I just finished my second week. We just had a pay-per-view last night called Death Before Dishonor. So I got to help out with that from home. Uh, next month, I start on the road with them working their live events. So we're doing four days in a row in Pittsburgh and Columbus, Ohio, and Chicago and Buffalo, New York. So if you live in any of those cities, ROHwrestling.com, uh, they're all either sold out or close to it. Uh, but I, I, I've had a couple people on Facebook say that they're going to be at some of the shows, so that'll be cool to connect with you guys. Um, but yeah, life is fucking uh, amazing on that end. Uh, brutal with my dad's health right now. Uh, and it's all true. It's all real. I'm owning it all. I'm acknowledging it all. Uh, but that's kind of what life is. It's messy. Yeah, I mean, there's never. It's never just perfect. I mean, it's never going to be perfect. And I, it's scary. Whenever really good things happen, you can be sure that something not as good might be around the corner. I know? guess. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like superstitious in the sense of, oh, I just got this dream job and it's going really well too. Something bad is likely going to happen. I'm not like that, but I think it's just life and that that you know life is change and sometimes the changes are good. Uh sometimes the changes are awful and with the case of this job, the good of change, it was, you know, my responsibility. That's stuff I had control over and I without going into the story, I've spent the past year and a half 
uh, working towards. Uh, and then other change, uh, you have absolutely no control over, and that is equally part of life. So it's just a matter of uh, finding the best ways, the most healthy ways to deal with it. That's something that we're always in control of. So it's funny you mentioned control, because that seems to be the the center for my anxiety. Like when I have control over things, I feel really good. I know what's going to happen. I have a a good idea of how things are going to go. Anything, of course, can happen. But when I have the majority percentage of control over my schedule, my life, the people that I'm with, and I don't mean like control over the people, but control over the plans I make and things like that, I feel much, much better. Um, And what's terrifying to me about that is there is no fucking real control in life. Like there really isn't like only the only thing you have control over are your decisions and the choices that you make and the things you do. And I've spent so much time worrying about what's going to happen in regards to other people's decisions and the choices that they will make and how it will affect me. And I've been really focusing or, you know, for a while now on just not feeding those thoughts and not acknowledging those thoughts or giving them any sort of value because at the end of the day, they're not real. Like you create these false realities based on what you think something or what you think someone might say or do. And, um, it gives you this, it gives me anxiety when I do that. And, um, it's a total choice to not feed that energy into that. It is. But I think for most people, they don't even realize that that choice exists uh, and, and more bluntly and big picture, uh, I believe most people have trouble separating themselves from their experience, like their thoughts, their feelings, uh, etc. For me, that's where mindfulness and mindfulness meditation has played a big role because it's helped me create space and, and create consciousness of my own awareness, or some people say like the observer within ourselves. So basically, I'm able to tap into a state of being or a state of mind where I can just observe myself a bit more objectively. And then that helps me have feel like I actually have more control in over my own self, where uh, it, it's kind of like who's, you know, who has the wheel, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but this stuff is tricky for, for all people. Uh, our culture in general, or Western culture in general, uh, I don't think places importance or value on these types of things, which makes it more difficult. I have my own uh, beliefs why that is. I think a lot of that comes back to control and the people in charge being able to have control over their populace. Uh, but... The beauty of the internet, the beauty of a medium like a podcast, uh, we can now share information that's important to us with each other for free. Um, And in that sense, I feel like there has been a spiritual revolution going on, uh, you know, in the past decade especially, uh, where we're, we're able to cut through the bullshit and really see what's important and get good information that can help us. Uh... Did I take that too far away from control? No. I mean, you're just, you're sharing 
I think uh, something is very important, which is there are more resources out there now more than ever to help people break through and really understand that they have a choice. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. I think that's why we're bringing this up in general, you know, even in this small context. Um, you know, and I've been like with the clinics I did this week, um, you know, I had to drive a lot. So normally I listen to music when I'm in my car, but this week in particular, I just kind of dove into some different podcasts that I've been really curious to listen to different episodes from different people. And, um, it's so funny. There's just so much talk about this kind of stuff in, in very, you know, unique ways based on the people and based on the, the experiences that people have had. Um, and it's just so interesting to me to see that like, creatives in particular, um, entrepreneurs, people that are choosing to be self-starters usually are the ones that are, are, that are at the forefront of this kind of thinking. And they need to be because they really don't have a choice, like, except to make decisions to put one foot in front of the other if they're going to succeed, you know? And that is the, I think that is the life of a creative or an entrepreneur. It's like making decisions to either keep moving or to, to hang up your, your hat. You yeah. And, and I think uh, I like that you brought up both artists and entrepreneurs because there are a lot of similar personality traits uh, um, amongst people like that. And I feel like they, and even us as people who identify uh, in both those ways, I think we have a responsibility to help use our voices and use our creativity and use our networks to amplify things that we feel really important about. Uh, I get frustrated because I feel like a lot of people who have peak attention don't really do that. Uh, Especially, I mean, think about in the 60s. That's what music culture was. Someone like Bob Dylan uh, and and this whole generation of musicians kind of speaking about things like, you know, the Vietnam War and they created and, and pushed culture. They influenced a culture. Uh, whether you agree with it or not, I think that's irrelevant. But I think having that platform comes with responsibility. What I've noticed is that uh, musicians don't lead anymore in the culture. I think musicians are, are afraid to turn away fans and ultimately money. Uh, and, and I think they're playing from a scarcity mindset. And now it's uh, leaders in tech that are the ones, uh, I think, standing up first culturally. Hmm. Um, or someone like Jimmy Kimmel in the past, uh, more recently. He's someone who has used his platform and voice um, and is actually creating uh, change or influence around national kind of dialogues. Um, and, and I wish the role of the musician, uh, look, fucking like Taylor Swift, you know, she has all the attention in the world. And I, it would be nice if, if I knew her point of view, hmm. and, you know, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of power in that. Um, and, and look, I say that there comes responsibility at the same time I can argue myself and be like, let her do what she wants. But I don't know. It's just kind of hard when I see a lot of bullshit going on in the world and and there aren't people out there with the platform to call it out for what it is Mm -hmm. do you ever think about that stuff just being in a band that has an international presence i do but um 
I think that I think that the guys in my band, including myself, we choose to do those things in our own way. Well, this is a, an example of it. Well, right, the podcast is is, an, is a direct example of it. Um, but we're just sharing what we know, and that's really important. You know, I mean, even the clinics that I did this week were. As much as they are educational and technical to some degree in terms of drumming, there's always a deeper message that's delivered through the information. And um, I gently touch on that, you know, I, because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to turn a drum clinic into a motivational speech by any means. But I do want people to be aware that there are parallels to be drawn from. You know the things that I'm talking about um, that are that are focused on drumming that that can also be applied to your life. You know, levity in a in a in a very serious conversation. Did you say gently or gently? Yeah, tip of the hat to everyone whose yeah. mind immediately went to the gent. Right, because Jordan smiled and looked directly at me. Uh, that was gently. I didn't even think about that <laughs> at all. Like, and I'm, and I'm in the gent band. Oh, wait, wait. So to get really like in the moment, so when I started smiling and Justin and I are kind of pointing back and forth, what were you thinking? Uh, I had no idea. I didn't know what the hell you guys were, were talking about. I thought you just thought it was funny that I said gently. Well, let's gently ease back into the conversation. So, Well, as you gently eased back into our conversation, where'd you go? I had to run outside to, to check uh, on Carly. It's her birthday. Happy birthday, Carl. Happy birthday, Carl. Happy birthday, Carl. We all love you. Um, I actually think that it's very cool, the platform that Periphery has, because I do think that you guys have created uh, a subculture you know, of, of the metal genre. I mean, there are people that have created community uh, through different groups, whether it's through, uh, I see Facebook is a really good platform for that. And then you guys offer every summer or every other summer a place for that community to actually come together as one. And so I do think that uh, you are serving those who listen and those who are supportive of your group and you have created community. And there are now disciples. I think there's more awareness of the genre. And I think there's more people um, connecting because of your music. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you see it that way. I mean, yeah, like the summer jam camp that we do, um, we've done one, we're doing another in 2018. Um, I think that's just one way. I mean, I think there's way more, uh, you know, micro methods that we use on a daily basis. I mean, everybody in the band is is extremely active on their socials. Um, you know, we respond to people, we communicate with people when they ask questions. Uh you know, we try to provide the best answers that we can without it being too, too much because sometimes we get questions that are just out of this world, just ridiculous. But um, but that's also why each of us do things like clinics. Like this week alone, me, Mark, and Misha each had our own separate clinics going on. And it's the same for everybody. I mean, we're, we're, we're sharing our, our knowledge and our hopefully our whatever limited wisdom we have. Um, and it definitely goes deeper than just the surface of the instrument. So let's dig into that because this is something that, look, if Matt and I were to get uh, dinner tonight, this is pretty much how our conversation would go because I'm just genuinely interested 
in how his week went with the clinics. And I've seen Matt do a clinic once. It, it must have been now four or five years ago. And I actually, at the time, was writing for uh, an online publication and came and took pictures and wrote an article about it. So that was a cool way to experience Matt's work. Um, so when was the first time, Matt, you actually started doing a, quote, clinic? Um, in a very organized manner like this where all of my drum sponsors are involved, it was probably in 2012. Okay, and for those who aren't aware, explain what a clinic is and how that's different from like a music lesson. Well, so a clinic typically takes place at a music shop or at a venue um, that is typically put on by a music shop in a local area. And the whole point of it is to have an artist of a specific instrument come in, perform on their instrument, talk about their instrument, teach something to the audience. Um, and then there's the hope that through that process, the instrument or brands that the artist uses will sell to people that are in the audience. So from the, if you're looking at it from a business perspective, for the artist, it's a great way to connect with their fans, share information, and earn a paycheck for their time, um, and also sell gear that uh, comes from their individual sponsors. For, for those sponsors, it's a great opportunity to, to, for, the, for them to have a brand ambassador go and demo their products in front of an audience. And then for the stores, it's the same thing as that. It's, it's a great place for, it's a great way to bring people into the shop um, to see what's happening you know, with the artists, to see what gear they have and hopefully sell some things. So that's really how it works. But it's like, uh, it's like for me, it's like public speaking with my drums. Mm -hmm. How long were the clinics this week typically? Typically they run 90 minutes. Okay, so if you think back to the first few clinics you ever did, do you remember what that big idea was? Um, my first couple clinics were pretty all over the place because I didn't realize that I could probably focus on way less information and deliver a, a better experience instead of just trying to like give so much in a, in a very limited period of time. And it was actually Mike Johnston um, from Mike'sLessons.com who made a really good point. He was like, look, like you're doing these clinics and you're good, but you're delivering them like a private lesson would be. You need to deliver them like a clinic and realize that you need to be a little bit more general and, and give a little bit more um, performance in certain ways to the audience instead of just trying to be so granular. I can relate in the sense that, especially when I share beat wall groups where we do a little bit of drumming, but the drumming is really just a metaphor for the things that I'm sharing with a group of people, whether it's like a corporate team building experience or if I'm going into a college and speaking with students, it's like there's so much that I want to share. Uh, and, and when I first started doing it, it felt like I was just, it was content overload. And I had to figure out that if I keep it simple, then it's more likely that a big idea will stick. Uh, for instance, last Saturday, I it was the second year in a row, I, I partnered with this rabbi, and she's amazing. And we did this Jewish service at midnight and the, uh, it was called Slihot, uh, something I'd never heard before. And basically, it's like the Christian, 
equivalent of like accepting that you are a sinner and and repenting. I, I don't even know. But for me, it was like, okay, this is all about owning your shit. And that was the one message that I communicated, uh, the one thing that I wanted people to take away from that evening. And what I remember about that clinic I went to, uh, that, that you led, Matt, a few years ago, that big idea was the more you move, the more you groove. Mm-hmm. And of course, you went into other things, but even years later, I remember that, and that's what I take away from the experience. And look, we all have busy lives. We all are, are consuming and taking in all this input. But if you're able to get one idea, like the more you move, the more you groove, to stick years later, then as a communicator, you were successful. Yeah, to echo Jordan's point, I remember seeing Matt what seems like four or five years ago at the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles, and I think this was maybe the Common Thread Tour with J.P. Pouvet and Mike Johnson. And when it got to your section, you simply went over trying to get people to understand that that you should be as good with your non-dominant hand uh, or foot as you are with the dominant. And as Matt and I were training two days ago, three days ago, I, I used the same, the same line that Matt had used uh, with Matt in the exercise we were doing. And so, again, reiterating the point of keeping it simple and presenting maybe one idea and letting people really sink in with that one idea uh, is so much more beneficial um, than trying to give people too much information because I've gone to seminars where it was just information overload. It was, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and the person literally tried to give you everything they had. And you walked away with all these notes more confused than when you started. And and I know that I have a, um, I'm going to be going out into the community with a group of people to present some nutrition ideas. And I get a little backlash for saying this to my group, but I'm trying to get them to warm up to the idea of, Let's give some background context, let's take some questions, and let's leave them with one token to sink into. Uh, Do you know what that will be, what your message? Yeah, so we're going into um, a community where we believe, and this could change, but we believe the demographic is going to be a group that doesn't eat as much uh, like fresh fruit and vegetables, doesn't meet, eat as much of like a plant-based diet. They kind of eat um, like more of the typical American diet, uh, more processed foods. And so we're going to try to present over a three-week uh, time period to do three of these, one per week. And we will do one on fresh fruits and vegetables, one on legumes, which could be uh, peanuts, beans, quinoa, things of that nature, and uh, and then do one on whole grains. Um, and that was kind of the direction that we were given. And from there, we can do as we please. And I ended up just taking the reins with my group and saying, hey, let me lead this one if you guys are okay with it, uh, just so that there's not too many cooks in the kitchen. And let's lead with one good idea for each. And the idea is just to show them one great ingredient, really highlight it, and show them how to prepare it easily in a dish that tastes great. Cool. And and, 
I want to get back to Matt's week, and I'm interested in how he came up with his big idea for these clinics. But for those listening, you know, if you are in a position where you are communicating to an audience, obviously the first rule of communication is know your audience. And and Justin, you know, you can take this advice too. If there's ways that you can do research beforehand in in any way that you can, uh, that's help. That it's helpful. Uh, to really make sure that your message is on target. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, uh, but about a month ago, I did a Beatwell group with, uh, it was like this thing through Red Bull's 25 social entrepreneurs from around the country. And I knew the message I wanted to share, but what I asked some of the, uh, the people as they started coming into the room, I just said, do you want to leave this experience uh, feeling more relaxed, or do you want to leave with more energy? And they all immediately said more energy, which wasn't where I was going to go. I was going to leave them in a state where they felt just more relaxed and do some more mindfulness type exercises. And I'm so glad that I asked because I was then able to give them an experience that I felt was equally as effective. Um, or I guess even more so because I met them where they were at and what they wanted. And so I feel like my message was then uh, even more communicated in the experience. Um, so Matt, what was your big idea for the clinics you did this week and how did you end up uh, deciding on that? So uh, let me start with the second part of that question. So I teach all over the world when I travel with the band. Um, typically at the venues before the shows. And I work in these small groups, you know, five to 10 people, sometimes up to 20, 40 people, but usually five to 10. And across all these different countries, different languages, uh, I, I run into these same big questions that people have. And um, that's how I knew my audience. That's how I knew what I was going to talk about because I could deduce down that, this information that I decided I was going to share would be beneficial because the people that were coming out were coming because they know my band, they know me, and they're likely going to have similar questions. So the topic, the main topic that I dug into this week was really about being able to find and develop your own sound and sense of feel as a musician and how many musicians overthink this and they try to look outward, outwardly to find this thing instead of just looking at themselves and realizing that it's much easier to um, find this within yourself than it is uh, realized, you know? I think adjectives uh, or even sometimes verbs, depending on how, how it's used, like feel, uh, you know, playing a feel or, or groove Things like that, they're really tricky words, and I think a lot of people have different definitions or don't even know how to define it for themselves. So then it starts to become a bit theoretical, which makes it harder to apply it. So, Matt, I'm curious, how would you define feel? What is what is someone's feel as it relates to music or even drumming specifically? It's simply somebody taking advantage of their own physical makeup and using their body in the most natural way state and and using the most natural movements possible to perform on your instrument. And uh, uh, the, the main point that I start with is um, when 
you walk down the street, typically you don't think about how your body moves and you create rhythm between your steps. And when you step on the ground, the impact that's created sends force through the rest of your body, which moves it right to left and side to side and your arms sway and your, your head moves and the in, inanimate objects like your clothing or your hair sways back and forth to the way you walk and everything is connected. Yet, those same people who are walking down the street, when they get on the drums, they're thinking about how they're going to move. They're thinking about what faces they're making. They're thinking about how high they should sit or how low they should sit, which is important. But they're thinking about like what technique to use more so than just, well, where is my sense of, of center? And the way that I describe that is, yeah, when you walk down the street, your feet are making that impact. But when you sit down on the drums, it's your butt in the chair that becomes that center of, of energy. And when you sit in the chair, if you can utilize um, the pulse of a groove or the tempo of a groove and create some sort of metronome with your butt in the seat just by simply bouncing up and down, that bounce is then going to affect the rest of your body just like your feet do when you walk down the street. So do you think part of the reason why... Uh, it's harder for musicians to maybe play with a natural feel is because they're stuck in their head, whether judging themselves or afraid of being judged by others? I think that's definitely one factor. Look, look, for most of us, when we walk, we're not like in our heads about it. We're not thinking about it. We just do it. I think in terms of drumming, drumming to me is actually... I can see all the similarities and the comparisons you can make between drumming and walking, but walking seems like something that is not necessarily taught. It seems like you go from crawling uh, to kind of standing and eventually to walking, but no one necessarily teaches it to you. How do you break down the difference between something that's more innate, that seems that people don't really learn these days how to walk or jog or run, yet drumming you need technique and, and you need to be able to co have all this coordination that someone really needs to teach you. Do you think there is something in, it sounds so easy and I'm thinking through my head, if I was sitting at the drums and just kind of bouncing left to right and using the center as my butt, it still would be hard because of the lack of specific techniques maybe that you're trying to produce and maybe that's the overthinking. Well, the techniques need to come later. I mean, this, and this is my big point. I don't care about speed. I don't care about how complex your, your grooves or your fills are. I don't, I don't care about what time signatures you play. <clears throat> if you don't have this understanding of how your body can work and how every single body type and every single unique person can create their own sound, then really you're doing yourself and your audience a disservice because you're not providing them with something that's authentic. And that's the first thing that's, I, I think that's the most important thing for any drummer or any real musician to try to develop on their instrument, which is, it's not just like a intellectual um, originality, it's physical, you know, it's okay, this is how I'm built and this is how my body works and um, I'm going to just utilize that to the fullest extent on the drums. And, you know, it really stems from the fact that there's a lot of people out there who say, oh, I don't have any rhythm. You know, I, I don't have feel. I don't have rhythm. I don't have groove. You're welcome to my world. 
right? Like, oh, I can't dance. Well, that's bullshit. You can, because again, you can walk down the street and you create rhythm between your feet. You know, your feet aren't going to grow in an instant one longer than the other and then create this like imbalance. Um, most of us have evenly spaced steps. And when we walk faster or slower, the space between our steps either increases or decreases, but there's always a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I'm putting instruments into the hands of people who 95% of them have never played an instrument. So it's, I, I, that is what I hear all the time, and it's just fear-based. And, and yeah, the walking is a great example. I do this with people who can't walk, right, or people who are blind, et cetera, et cetera. So what I always say is that you have a heartbeat that's rhythm. The same analogy, uh, our heart rate and our breathing sometimes has a slower tempo or a faster tempo, and we don't have to think about it. Our body just naturally has rhythm. That's correct. That's correct. Matt, have you ever thought about, uh, and this is just out of sheer curiosity, um, have you ever tried to make the comparison between the the way you think about the drum and the way that maybe a guitar player or bass player or string instrument would approach the the instrument? Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You, it's all it's all down. I mean, if we're getting specific, it's all down to being rigid or being loose and relaxed. You know, if you're, and there's a lot of factors to this. Like, if you try to play the drums or a guitar and you're tight and you're rigid, you're going to get tendonitis somewhere in your body and you're going to fuck yourself up. You're not going to be able to play. If you can figure out how to be loose and use the natural motion that your body is, is sort of producing, you know, when you do the things that are natural to you, then you're not only going to like help yourself and preserve yourself. But it's going to sound and look and feel more natural. And, and that's the thing. It's like when, when you play and you're, you are comfortable and you're relaxed, that comes through in the sound, right? Whereas if you play and you're rigid and you're tense and you're tight, that comes through in the sound. Um, it's somewhat intangible in that sense like the transfer between the two like when when it goes from like physical rigidity to rigid sound like i, I you know there, there's a transfer of energy and it, I, I i guess the best way to describe it would be like okay look at my faces when i play the drums right i make the most ridiculous faces in the world but I don't realize that I do it because I'm, I'm not really thinking about that. Like I'm just kind of feeling the music and I'm feeling the pulse and my face does whatever it does despite what I think I might look like. Um, whereas there's a lot of drummers who are insecure and they're afraid to show that emotion and to let go. And I think that's, that comes from other areas too in life. Um, and if you don't let go and you hold back, everyone in an audience who's watching that performer is going to know that and see that and not, and they're not going to connect and they're not going to feel it the same way. And it can make them feel uncomfortable or desiring more from the performer. Right. I mean, music is the, is, is the expression of who we are. And I think the more comfortable we are with ourselves, the less we judge ourselves, the less that we live in fear of the judgment of others that comes through uh, the expression of our instrument. I know, then in the drum lessons that I teach weekly, I always start with jamming. I don't start with, with a technique. I don't start with, hey, let's review what we did last week. 
I start with jamming because for me, that's the end goal of these lessons. It's to get people to play. And there's the difference between performing and playing. For me, it's most important for my students to be comfortable playing their instrument. So what I always, uh, I always say, they start first uh, for a few reasons. One, I want to understand their natural expression on the drum set at that moment. And then I want to support them where they are in their expression of the instrument. Uh, more technically as a teacher, it gives me insight into a bunch of different ways that I can help improve either their production of sound or technique, etc., on the drums. But I, I want them to get out of their head. And that's what I say, especially if I notice their resistance. I'm like, don't think about it. Just move your hands and feet and whatever comes out is totally fine. And that's usually enough to help my students get over that initial resistance of, I don't know what's gonna come out, or, uh, or I want this to be good, or I, I don't want to mess up. And my job uh, as a, quote, drum teacher is to help them uh, get over that resistance. And my larger hope is that this starts to spill over into their day-to-day -day lives. So the way that they can uh, express themselves more confidently on an instrument. Uh, my intention is that they can express themselves more comfortably just in life in general. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, and that's a that's really good that you do that, especially first, because it helps to loosen them up and break the ice. And, you know, you can also gauge where they're at within that comfortability spectrum. And I also want to say that my approach or teaching philosophy isn't for everyone. So I've had other students come here for just an intro lesson and whether the student themselves or their parent, they'll say, look, we get your approach, but it's not structured enough for me or for what my child needs or for what I want for my child. Uh, and sometimes that's unfortunate and sometimes that's the right call for them. So I don't want to say that my approach to music education is the right way. It's my way. I'm comfortable and confident in that. And then for those who it aligns with, I feel like it can be really effective. Yeah, that's cool. Cool, yeah. I have a, so when I asked you to, to define feel on an instrument, you immediately went to the physical. Where does the emotional, if at all, come into play for you? The emotional comes in more so with my uh, connection with the instrument and then the music that I'm playing. You know, if I can connect with um, the, the music, the melodies, the lyrics or the vocal parts, the message, then that helps to enhance and kind of support with emotion. You know, um, if I'm just playing grooves by myself or I'm soloing, you know, I usually try to just tap into whatever mood I'm in at the time. And if I'm feeling really energetic, I'll probably play something that's energetic. If I'm feeling pretty relaxed and chill, I'll probably lead with something that's very relaxed and chill and just see how it goes from there. Um, and whatever the mood is, it's going to determine what comes out. So when, during these clinics, did you have anyone there come up on the drum set for some demo experience? Yes. So walk us through what did that look like and how did it play out with these people? Well, the whole point of the demo experience is to put them through this practice uh, regimen or this exercise that 
I always encourage my students to work on if they're trying to develop exactly what we're talking about. They're trying to develop their own sense of feel and find their own body movements. So it's a specific groove that I developed. You know, it's a, I mean, it's a groove that everybody who plays drums can, can probably play or has played. But then there's a series of other things on top of it that I make the drummers do. And the best part is, you know, getting a drummer to come up who's pretty confident when they sit down and then putting them through the exercise and seeing them fuck up. And I want them to screw up because I want people to see that it's seemingly easy, but it's actually pretty tough to be able to untie the knots that are necessary in order to play and perform with your own sense of feel and groove and passion. And that's what the exercise is about. So typically I bring someone up and I do it in steps. I say, okay, here's the groove. Just play me the groove. Okay, great. Now that we can play the groove, let's add this component on top of it. And then that's usually where they either prove to me that they've done something like this before or not. And if they haven't, it's pretty evident because there's typical responses and typical screw-ups that occur. And then once I layer the third piece onto it, then it really can sometimes be a train wreck. But again, that's what I want to happen at these clinics because it helps to drive my point home. And in the process, I'm helping someone understand that there's more to work on. Hmm. What's your favorite part about doing these clinics? Watching people's light bulbs go off and seeing when they connect with the one piece of information that's going to apply to their journey. Because it's very obvious when that happens. People shake their heads or they smile or, you know, they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll say, man, that was really great. I took this away from it. Um, so that's always the best part. And I think that's cool. You pay attention to that. Even you said the inspiration for these clinics comes from the the lessons that you do because that's really you doing market research and listening and observing and I mean that applies for pretty much all our listeners in all kinds of ways no matter what uh, you know business you have going on or even personal stuff it's just it's input and it's synthesizing data and it's just being open and aware and then we can adjust accordingly to be the most effective whatever in our lives. Yeah, so really knowing your audience and effectively communicating to your audience is key. But have you ever showed up with a game plan? So this week it seems like that you had the same game plan for each of the clinics. Have you ever showed up and just realized, wow, what I'm presenting is just not working? Um, not really. Because again, all of the, the preparation that goes into it is based off of real data. None of it is guesswork. You know, right. like, I, like I'm not guessing like, oh, hopefully these people will like this thing. Um, but go back to when you initially started and you were a bit more all over the place. You didn't have as much uh, market research and you maybe didn't really know what the people specifically would be asking you for years to come. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. I did because I had still been teaching for many years at that point on my own and I knew the top five questions that I got asked, right. the difference was I wasn't as good at figuring out how to deliver that information to a crowd in a way that can really hold their attention for 90 minutes. Between these four clinics this past week, uh, especially after the first one, did you make any changes, whether it was the structure of the content, uh, different stories or exercises that you shared to, to uh, demonstrate a point or anything else like that? No, not really. 
I mean, not there were no major tweaks whatsoever. I mean, here and there, there's like you know little flow things that you do, um, and if you have time constraints or like one of the stores needed to, you know, they needed me to make sure I was finished and packed up within a two hour window. So I just kind of kept it a little bit more streamlined instead of taking a little bit more time to address questions throughout. But aside from that, all the information, all the anecdotes, uh, the performances, all that stuff was exactly the same because it's really a, a, a curriculum that I've put together that I know works. So more technically, what is your process uh, in, I guess, in, you know, in a pre-production before this? And, and I asked because I know when I started doing something similar to a clinic through my Beatwell work, uh, like the first time I ever shared with college students or at a hospital, I had like two full pages of notes that was my outline. And I noticed that I was more focused on the outline than I was on the people in the room. And now that I've been doing it for so many years, uh, sometimes I'll have a couple bullet points, uh, but I more typically, I just kind of think a, a structure in my head beforehand and then just trust in myself in the process. So, I mean, do you have bullet points for yourself? Do you actually write down uh, an intended structure? And if so, do you stick to it? Yeah, I mean, when I first <clears throat> started doing this particular clinic topic, I wrote out what I was going to do. Um, I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I think I have a clinic outline. So I don't know when I, let's see. I edited it on July 26th because I knew that I was going to go and do clinics and I was adding information here. But um, this clinic outline was developed in 2016, actually, because I first started testing this clinic out and doing it in uh, Europe, when I went to Europe, this was the clinic format that I used. Then I did it in Australia, and then I haven't done any major clinics since then, and I hadn't done this clinic in the States, so I did it again here knowing that it worked. So just out of curiosity about, I guess, how you treat this as an educator and as a business person, where do you see yourself going with this course content? I mean, do you want to do more in-person clinics like this? Do you think you'll do something like a creative live or it's video content? Do you ever see yourself doing it like, like a book? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely want to do more in-person clinics and this is a great topic to dig into and it's, it's never going to get old because I think people can always have a reminder about these topics. Um, if the right opportunity presented itself to do something online that was more available widely to people, then I would use this this curriculum. Um, I don't think it's really enough to write a book on at this point. I would really have to dig much deeper and go further with it to write a book about this or to do my own DVD about this. But I could potentially, but it's not currently in my plans. What's the last DVD you bought? Um... Music DVD? No, physical DVD. Physical DVD. Um, I have no idea. Jordan? It's, it's been probably 10 years. I don't know. I, I think know. I actually can remember. I think I support it. Uh, I think the website is called This One's On Us. 
which was a nod to, was it like the late 90s? Or not late 90s, uh, maybe like late 2000s rather. I think that was when, when like Radiohead put out, um, was it King of Limbs? That yeah. was kind of, the, that was the start of Pay What You Want. Underappreciated record. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the but, live version is even better that they did that like Radiohead from the basement. Oh, I remember, yeah, that was yeah, always on Palladium. That was fantastic. And you can yeah. probably find that on YouTube. Yeah, you should check that out right now. Honestly, turn this podcast off. Yeah, and go watch it. It's incredible. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so this this one's on us was uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails saying uh, something to the tune of like, it's been 20 years of you guys paying for music. This one's on us. There's a website that's like that. And I bought, I think it was like five bucks or 10 bucks, a DVD that was a compilation of random people filming shows over a whole tour and then people taking, I don't know, maybe terabytes, like thousands of gigabytes worth of, of footage and editing it down into one succinct two-hour show. It was incredible. Like, remember the, the Beastie Boys, um, it was like one shot. Remember that? What's the... People took tons of footage from the crowd. and they Oh, from that Madison Square Garden show. Yeah, 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 from the crowd. I never then, saw that. Oh, really cool. I love the Beastie Boys, though. I know, right? I saw a great Beastie Boys shirt yesterday. Man, DVDs are weird. They are weird. I, I think if it, was, if, if it wasn't that, then it was something that I couldn't find online. Um, and I would say it was probably like Victor Wooten's Groove Workshop, which is a master class uh, in, in music. It's not even just bass related, and yeah, that Victor Wooten book, the music, the music lesson. lesson. If I can recommend one piece of content to our listeners, especially if you are a musician, uh, and, and it's so in line with what I was talking about, my music education philosophy. But Victor Wooten, the music lesson, uh, it it can fundamentally change your life and how you can view your life and your experience through the lens of being a musician. Yeah, my, my entire philosophy, and I think Jordan's as well, I think it all, most of it is predicated on the ideas that Victor Wooten presented in that book. You, we, I mean, we talk about it, whether we actually reference it uh, daily, we talk about points that are made in that book all the time. Sure. Matt, do you know him? No. You we should. Sh- we should get him on the podcast. Agreed. I'm over John Mayer. Let's get Victor Wooten on this podcast. I'm so not over John Mayer. But I know. I, neither am I. But Victor Wooten may be... May, like, may he would be, be a, top three of people to have on this specific podcast. If you guys want to find Victor Wooten on uh, social media and start uh, kind of tagging our stuff and his stuff together, go ahead. That would be something. Yeah. His wisdom seems infinite. So, yeah. That would be awesome. I'm into it. Okay. So anyway, what t- how long has this been so far? Uh, probably about an hour. Longer than we suspected it would be. I don't think so, but I think you can click something that'll show us. Yeah. There we go. At this point, this is oh, where just people about. just are like, all right, fuck this. They're already like right. in this type of conversation. Right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I th- I th- is there... Well, okay, hold on real quick. So, Jordan... We talked about Ring of Honor a little bit, which I think you'll get more into next week. Yeah, I, I'd like to. Well, yeah, I guess with uh, with our guest next week, I, he has wrestled professionally, uh, meaning like as a you know a pro wrestling entertainer. 
So I know he and I will connect in that way. But I think also in the future, uh, going a bit deeper into my story would add value to listeners in just my approach and strategy to have landed a legitimate dream job. Yeah, no question. Yeah, for sure. Um, we talked about the fact that both of your your dad, you know, both of you's father, however you say that. Yeah, Stefan. Your guy's father right. was in a car accident this week. Yep. And that has been tough for, and it would be tough for anybody. But he's doing good. I just saw that you got a text from your mom that yep. he's out of surgery, right? And he's about to start physical therapy. Yep. And that's great. So he's already on the mend. The road to recovery. Right. Yep. All right. That's good. For sure. Good to know. Um, aside from Carly's birthday, yep. is there anything else this week that you have experienced, Justin? Yeah. Actually, I, I connected uh, through the website Reverb.com. I connected with this, this really cool dude from Switzerland uh, who was interested. I had two old Fender bases up for sale and... We ended up setting up some time through Skype, and we got to hang out, and um, we virtually hung out. But it was, it was just really wonderful to connect, and I, I kind of wish this happened more often. We just we geeked out over old bass gear and new bass gear, and uh, bands, bass players, and the whole nine. And ironically, he had posted a demo from I, I think three or four years ago that I had heard on YouTube, which was really cool to be able to share that with him. And uh, we just started a really good relationship and rapport. And uh, he actually picked a uh, somewhat of like a, a I guess, a, a dream instrument for himself and something that he, he uh, didn't have in his arsenal. And yeah, so he, he snagged an old P bass, which was really cool. And uh, I was really pumped to be able to connect in that way. Yeah, man, making friends, making money. So in the spirit of that, uh, what we will do this week in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants, I'm going to start a thread that's going to be titled What Lights You Up? And in that, uh, answer it. Maybe a couple things that, that lights you up. So for me, within the context of, of a group like this where I could assume a lot of people are creatives, I would probably put pro wrestling, hoping that there would be maybe a few other people in the group that are also into pro wrestling. So I want you all to add your comment and then also go through the other comments. And if you see someone who has a similar interest, then either comment on that uh, or like it or just directly message each other. And let's see if we can get some people in this group uh, connected in a more meaningful way. I actually, I'll share something else that cool that happened this week. Um, I was actually looking forward, you know, trying to prepare myself for, for future things to come. And one of those things I have to do is by February of next year, I have to apply for uh, an internship once schooling ends for me to get a dietetic internship. And uh, I decided because I, I felt like the the infrastructure where I currently am at my school is maybe not the best and there's not the best people to connect with to ask the best questions, you know, in a mentorship kind of role. I decided to just reach out through social media to those that I saw around. Not that I actually knew the people personally, but I know their brands and the people that they're working for. And I reached out to 
a girl who works for Mike Dolce. And for anyone who doesn't know, Mike Dolce was, I think he's, he's won it four times, or in, uh, I think he's won it four times as nutrition trainer of the year uh, in MMA. Most notably, he was the nutritionist for Ronda Rousey. And I reached out to uh, a dietitian from his company, who I think is maybe the, the lead and maybe the only dietitian there. Um, or rather, no, he's got tons of them. So it's one of the dietitians there, a, a younger dietitian. I reached out and she uh, was more than accommodating. And we set up a uh, either Skype or FaceTime for Monday. So when this episode is released, which is cool. I'll be able to ask tons of questions for someone who recently went through the process. And I think to Jordan's point of you know what lights you up, if you see someone uh, who's in, who's interested or into the same stuff that you're into, connect with them and find some time to uh, you know virtually hang out. Yeah, man, connection—that's the whole game. That's it. That's everything. Matt, you have any last thoughts, my friend? Um, no, not really. I'm I'm ready to go celebrate Carl's birthday. Hell yeah. Matt, have you ever tried, I, I was thinking this before, have you ever tried that when you bring a student up or a, uh, a an attendee of a clinic, when you bring them up to do the like simulation that you spoke of, have you ever just communicated to them like, you know, pretend you're feeling and then fill in the blank with an emotion? Like pretend that you're angry and how does that change the groove? Have you ever thought about that? No, because that uh, I think that's another whole topic. It is. I, yeah, I agree with you. You know, and yeah. I, I don't, I want to keep people very focused on, on the one on the one thing, you know. Yep, fair enough. I can speak to that, but I'm not going to. Awesome. Uh, so for all of you listening, we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for your attention. Uh, again, one last time, we will plug the group. It is facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, I know for, for our guests next week, there already is a thread up there with questions. I actually saw he's already responding to them. So we'll figure out what to actually do on the podcast as well. I haven't read through the questions yet, um, but I'm curious to do that. And, and kind of this will give us insight into, into his thought process. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Um, on, uh, on your podcast apps, whether it's Stitcher or the Apple podcast app uh, or, or Google Play or whatever else, if you can open it and type in chocolate croissants, uh, there should be a subscribe button. Uh, click that. It helps us. It potentially helps you in the sense that you don't have to think about downloading this podcast every week. It automatically does it on Monday mornings. Uh, and then you don't have to use your data to listen to it, whether you're in the car or elsewhere. Uh, so that would be nice. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and rate and review Chocolate Croissants. That would be appreciated. Uh, and we would quite frankly love you for that. I want to apologize for not being uh, there last week for Finn's episode number 24. Uh, I didn't get to say bye-bye at the end. It broke my heart. Justin did a noble and respected job of it. So I want to thank you personally, Justin, for doing that. Yep. Uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the uh, other apples. From the other apples, and if and within the spirit of what we're talking about today, one big idea, right? One big idea. So if you take anything away from this episode number twenty-five, 
of the Chocolate Croissant Podcasts, uh, please remember the apple doesn't fall too far from the other apples. With that, we'll see you in Facebook. We will see you next week in your podcast app of choice. And until then, bye-bye.